Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, and hey, for those of you joining us online at our Rossville campus, it's great to see you this morning. Thank you so much for tuning in, and if you are here in the building or somewhere and don't have a Bible, we'll have them up on the screen, the verses on the screen in just a moment. I started a sermon series through Colossians, and uh, first things first, where do you start in the Christian life? And we're looking at as Paul uh, opens up into this chapter one, there are some things he wants us to know first. And so I kind of jumped out of order with the last sermon and talked about Jesus being a big deal out of that hymn in chapter one. And today I want to go back to the very beginning where Paul tells us this, how to be a stand out Christian, how to be a stand out Christian. He uses a word in there that I want us to build the sermon and really build our lives around as we get into it. Hey, don't, don't you hate it when you miss out on a golden opportunity? I read this um, article the other day, just the other day, about a Tennessee man who um, actually won $1 million in the Tennessee State Lottery. Nick Slayton of Sparta, Tennessee, bought the ticket at the Village Market on March the 10th and then headed home and then the next day kind of forgot about it, but rem- remembered to check the Tennessee Lottery app and discovered that the ticket was worth $1,178,746. So he said, I was stunned. I couldn't believe I'd won it. So he immediately drove to his fiance's workplace and uh, told her he had won. And then he spent the rest of the day with his brother running errands, including going to an O'Reilly auto parts store. Because of course, when you win a million dollars, you go straight to the auto parts store and um he said after they ran their errands they they went home and uh about an hour later he realized he couldn't find the ticket anywhere and so he panicked and he went back and it'd been hours by this point he went back and he started retracing his steps of everywhere that he had gone that day until he finally wound his way back to the O'Reilly Auto Parts store and next to another car, next to the driver's side uh, on the car, the ticket was laying right beside the other car on the driver's side in the parking lot. And here's what he said. He said it was a million-dollar ticket and somebody stepped right over it. It just wasn't somebody. He'd been gone for hours. It was a over a million dollar ticket. And people for hours had been parking there and stepping right over. Can you imagine? You've seen it, right? You've seen the uh, uh, the scratched off ticket or whatever it may be in a parking lot, in a wherever it's grocery store, whatever it may be. And you just, you don't pick it up. I, I do now, but you don't pick it up. Right? You just go on. You just see it and you don't think anything about it. You see it and you assume it's not a big deal. You see it and you don't even care. 
Now, I, I tell you that story to say, to set your mind for, that's a little bit of what we do with what Paul talks about in chapter 1. And it's a word that he talks about that we're so used to hearing in Christian life that it's a million-dollar Christian word, and we step right over it, and it's the word gospel in chapter 1. So we have this tendency to, to step right over the word gospel when we hear it. Because here's what we do. We, we think the word gospel is a preacher word. We think the word gospel is a worship word. We think the word gospel is a Sunday school word. But the, the word gospel doesn't really impact my life is how we think. It doesn't really have anything to do with me. And so Paul rolls into the book of Colossians using the word gospel to talk about how it impacts our lives and how it ought to impact our lives. And so that's why it falls in this chapter one of first things first. Paul wants you to understand that the gospel is what matters in our lives and our eternity. What do you mean, preacher? The gospel is what brings the good news. That's what the word means, good news of salvation of Christ. The gospel is what enables us to live once we have the salvation of Christ. And so we, we hear the word gospel and move on when, let me just say this, what we're all about is the gospel here. Right? It's one of our values that we're going to keep the main thing, the main thing, the, the gospel. It's not so, supposed to just be a word we hear in church and move on. It's the thing that makes you different than the rest of the world. It's the thing that changes you now. It's the thing that secures your forever. It's the thing that makes us stand out to the world around us and the culture around us. It is the gospel. And so Paul, when he opened chapter 1, wanted to give us a good grasp on what the gospel does in your life and in my life and how we appropriate that gospel on a daily basis. So I want to show you that. Look in Colossians chapter 1. Would you stand with me as we honor God's word by reading it? Colossians chapter 1, and we'll just begin reading in verse number 1. Colossians 1.1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will and Timothy our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, of the love you have for all the saints, because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You've already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel, that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. You learned this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. Thank you. You may be seated. Paul lays out in these in the opening book and it centers around this this truth of the gospel and he uses the opening verses to brag on the church and he sets the stage really for further instruction and so right in the middle of these eight verses Paul kind of buries in the middle of the passage verse number five of the gospel and with that he's kind of telling us how we can be a standout Christian a Christian that stands out from the rest of the world and everything about that is centered around on how the gospel impacts our lives and so I want to talk about that for just a moment how should the gospel impact our lives what difference should it make in our lives how does the gospel make us 
us stand out. First of all, I want to tell you this about the gospel. Number one, your output is determined by your input in verses four and five. Look, look what he says in verse number four. For you have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. Your output is determined by your input. Here we find those three words that are the triad of the Christian faith, right? Uh, uh, faith, love, and hope. Faith, hope, and love. Though these three are the fruit of the gospel, Paul calls them, that are to be reproduced in the life of the believer and in the life of the church. This faith, hope, and love. That Paul tells us this, that you can tell the gospel is in full operation in a person's life, in a Christian's life, because of the presence of faith. But get this, not just the presence of faith, but the practice of faith as well. So we, we tend to view faith as this, as, as this thing. We, we tend to view faith. And by the way, he, he starts it off with this, uh, faith in Christ Jesus. We tend to view faith in Christ Jesus as, um, as just the presence of faith, right? Like, I have faith. That's how we say it. I, I, I believe, I have faith that God can do something. I, I have faith that God can answer my prayer. I have faith that God can do a miracle in my life. But he, here's what Paul was trying to tell us. All the uh, commentators, you read the passage, were telling us the way the word is constructed. It's not just the presence of faith, but it is manifested in the practice of faith. He, here's what that means. How do you know if the gospel is in full operation of your life? Well, anybody can say, I have faith, James said, but it's the manifested in its practice. Here's what it means. That I believe Christ so much, I put my trust in Christ so much that I'll put into practice what he wants me to put into practice. So, so my faith is manifested not just in its presence in my life, but in its practice in my life. That the fruit of the gospel is when we put the gospel into fact, effect in our life. Our faith is our evidence that we are living and abiding in the gospel of Jesus. So here, here's the tendency we have. We have the tendency to think that our faith is a private affair. And we don't want to talk about it, right? What are the things you can't talk about at work? Money, politics, and, and religion, right? Why, why can't we talk about religion? Well, because we, we, we call it our, our, you know, it's a private practice. Well, that is foreign to the scripture. That's some kind of American ideology that you don't talk about your faith because God is going to say the exact opposite. That here, here's the truth, that if you really have faith in Christ Jesus, it cannot help but be manifested in your daily life. That an internal belief uh, turns itself into an external display of the gospel. So get this, there is no such thing as a Christian that loves Jesus that doesn't look like Jesus. Now look, we're all a work in progress. Can I get an amen right there? Some, some, some more than others, right? But we're work in progress, right? We're work in progress. But if the gospel is being internalized, it can't help but come out externally for the rest of the world to see. And so Paul says that about the gospel, that it's your faith in Christ Jesus. But it's not just that internal faith, oh, I believe in God. No, it's I believe in God and I believe in God so much that I'm going to put into practice the tenets of the faith for all the world to see and for God to see. But, but secondly, he talked about the love for the saints. 
love for the saints. It's, it's the Greek word. You, you see it, you've seen it all your life. You've been in church all your life. Agapeo, agape, we, we would call it in the Greek. It's a self-sacrificing love for those around us. But get this, Paul called it a love for the saints, that it is specifically a love for our family of faith, a natural love of our family of faith. Let's get this, ought to permeate your life and ought to permeate the life of the church. That love means that when the gospel is in full effect in your life, that, that means you'll care for others who, who are here around you this morning. That, that means that you'll spur one another to godliness. That means, get this, you're willing to put up with the mistakes and differences of the people that we worship with, that we have extreme forgiveness, right? Because the ultimate example of agape love was Jesus dying on the cross. And you remember what he said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. By the way, nobody had asked for forgiveness at that moment. But because that agapeo love was so operational in the life of Jesus, he was willing to forgive even before somebody had asked. And Paul, Paul said this, that's how you know the gospel is active in your life, that you have a love for the saints, that, that, that love for the saints will manifest itself in care, sure, but it also manifests itself in spurring people to godliness, and it manifests itself in the ability to put, put up with mistakes and, uh, and uh, uh, forgive people. I mean, I talk to Christians all the time that say, well, Preacher, they've not asked for forgiveness. And by the way, Jesus forgave you before you asked for forgiveness as well. But thirdly, it was hope reserved in heaven. It was a beautiful phrase there in the Bible that it speaks of. When the Bible uses the word hope, it's not the way we might use it. We use the word like wish. My, My wish. I hope it happens. That's not the way it's used in the Bible. It's used in the Bible as a, it speaks of our confidence in our salvation and our passion for the kingdom of God. When you see the word hope in the New Testament, it's a confidential hope. It is not a, I wish, it is my hope that's already reserved up in heaven. I have confidence in it. And because I have confidence in it, I have a passion for the kingdom of God that, listen, if we know for sure that heaven is our destination, how much more will that cause us to live out for the kingdom of God? You know what's wrong with the average Christian is they're not sure they're really a Christian. The reason the average Christian doesn't doesn't dedicate their lives to the Lord. They don't serve God. They don't live for God. They don't give to God. They don't tell others about God is because we don't really have this confidence. We're not sure in our own salvation. And Paul said, hey, when the gospel is active in your life, you're going to have a confidence, a hope in the gospel that's going to cause you to be uh, uh, passionate about the kingdom of God. And so all of that, when he lays it out, is the fruit of the gospel, the practice of our faith, our love for the brethren, and our passion from the kingdom are the natural fruit of having our lives centered around the gospel, of having our lives bathed in the gospel. And if you aren't filling your life, get this, with the things of the Lord, the gospel life, you will not have the fruit of the gospel in your life either. Faith, hope, and love are the fruit of the gospel, but it only comes when we center our lives around the gospel, when we fill our lives with the things of God, because whatever you're filling up with will be the fruit of your life. Whatever the diet of your life is, 
will be the fruit of your life. I, I'm, um, you know, I'm trying to lose a little weight, and, and there's just some things I don't, I don't like. Like, there's some things I don't like. Like, there's some healthy choices. And, and my wife's told me for years to make healthier choices. Well, I don't want to make healthier choices. I want Doritos. That's what I want. And I don't, I don't want a healthier choices. But so I've been trying to do, trying to do it well. And she's been telling me, especially when I travel, she's been saying, uh, you, you need to, you know, and she didn't have to say it. I know it. You need to eat healthier. And she's, you know, I eat fish. I, I don't, I don't, I don't like fish. I don't like it at all. If it well, let me tell you, I like like Captain D's where it's been battered and fried, and um, I mean I like that. I don't. I I literally I normally just take the fish out and eat the batter, dip it in something, and I love I love that if that counts as fish. But like just regular fish, I don't like it. And so the other day, I'm like, hey, I'd kind of hit a plateau and I wanted to lose a pound or two and so I was down training pastors in the Atlanta area and I, I was meeting some pastors for lunch and then I was meeting them for dinner as well and we had we had lunch uh, with certain group I had lunch at Ted's Montana Grill anybody ever ate at Ted's around yeah you, yeah so and then at dinner we I, I, were, I was meeting some pastors at at Texas Roadhouse so I'm eating lunch at Ted's Montana Grill. I'm eating dinner at Texas Roadhouse. What should I have eaten? Right, a cow. That's what I should have eaten. I should have eaten a cow. should have eaten a cow. But I sent her a photo. I sent her a photo. And I don't know if you can tell what that is or not. Anybody know what that is? Yeah, or just nasty old fish. And then uh, for dinner, I sent her another photo. You know what that is? That's salmon again. I, I'm, I'm very proud of myself that I ate on the same day without a gun to my head, back-to-back salmon on the same day, on the same day. And, and here's the deal. I, I got up the next morning, and you're not going to guess what's hap- happened to me, is the next morning I'd actually lost weight, pushed through a barrier I was at. Why? How had that happen? Well, I'll tell you how it happened. The fruit of my weight is directly tied to the diet of my life. The, the fruit of my weight is directly tied to the diet of my life. And that's true in the Christian's life as well. That whatever your diet is, your life will reflect what you're taking in. Like, like if you're living on the things of the world, right? If you're dining on the things of the world, if you're always uh, surrounding yourself with the things of the world and your, your, your input is always the thing of the world, guess what? You can't hide it. It's going to come out in your vocabulary and the way you talk. It's going to come out in the attitudes you have in your daily living. It's going to come out in your actions. It's going to come out in your family. It's going to come out in your decisions. I'm just telling you that if you are living your life on a diet of the things of the world, it cannot help but come out in your daily living. And it means you will not stand out at all. I mean, if you care more about the Kardashians than what you do, the Bible... If we spend more time on social media than we do in his word, I'm just telling you, it comes out in the 
actions in the, in, in the practice of our lives. But here's what Paul was trying to tell us. You live under the diet of the gospel and the things of God, it manifests itself the same way. And you, I, I know people, preacher, you're not my judge. And you're right. I am not your judge at all. It, you'll stand before God one day. It'll never be before me. I'll, get, I'll have my own problems with Jesus. I, I got to stand before him one day too. Listen, I am not your judge, but I'm a really good fruit inspector. And by the way, so is everyone else around you. By the way, whether they're lost or saved, right? There are lost people around you can tell you what your life is centered around. Saved people around you can tell you what your life is centered around because the fruit of the gospel is obvious to all. And Paul was trying to tell us in the opening line that your output is determined by your input. That we're supposed to live lives centered around the gospel, centered around the things of God, centered around the good news of Jesus. And when we do, it comes out in our faith, hope, and love. But when we don't, nobody can tell. What, what does the fruit look like in your life? I can tell you by whatever your daily diet is. You'll, you'll never be the Christian you want to be until you settle this matter that what you center your life is around is what your life will look like. Your output is determined by your input. That means you need to spend time with Jesus, spend time in the gospel, spend time around the things of God. Then all of a sudden that faith that we claim on the inside will be manifested on the outside. All of a sudden our love for those around us will grow. All of a sudden our Christian life will be more passionate, more dedicated. Because your, your output is determined by your input. Second thing you want to know about the gospel is this, is that you will elevate what you appreciate man i'll be honest with you i don't know that i'd ever seen this phrase in the bible until i i mean i've read cautions i don't know how many times in my life and i don't know that i'd ever seen this phrase look look in uh, chapter uh, verse five and six he said for paul said you'd already heard about this hope in the word of truth the gospel that has come to you, it is bearing fruit and growing all over the world just as it has among you since the day you heard it now get this and came to truly appreciate God's grace. Truly appreciate God's grace. Paul said, now here's the deal. The gospel has come to you and you have received it. But he also said it's being spread all over the world. And that the gospel was growing. So the church at Colossia had received the gospel of God. But not only that, they had begun to, began to spread out the gospel of God. It impacted their lives. And it's what he says right here. It's bearing fruit and growing. It impacted their lives and had been growing in the world since, they, since the day they got saved. No, that's not what he says. He doesn't say that the gospel has started spreading since the day they heard it. He doesn't say the gospel started spreading uh, 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 or started growing the day they heard it. He said, hey, let me tell you when the gospel took root and began to do something in your life. He said the gospel began to uh, do something in your life once you heard it and came to truly appreciate it. Truly appreciate what God has done for them. The truth of the gospel is this. Once we truly grasp what the grace and gospel of God has done in our lives, we'll have no problem telling others what Jesus has done for us. 
The reason we aren't a better witness of the gospel, the reason we don't have a fire of the gospel in our hearts is that we don't truly appreciate what the gospel has already done in our lives. You say, preacher, I've been saved for years. It's not talking about it since you heard it. Paul said it began to do something once you began to appreciate what the gospel has done in your life. Once we get a grasp of what the gospel has done for us, we have no problem telling others. Once we realize that the gospel has saved us from, listen, problem after problem, issue after issue, trap after trap of the devil, misery after misery, heartache after heartache, chain after chain, destructive tendencies after destructive tendencies, and not only that, hell for all of eternity. You say, preacher, I've saved as a little kid. Uh, Me too. And so let me tell you what we forget sometimes. There's some people in this room that God saved you out of everything I just said, and there's some people in this room that God saved us from everything I just said. Can I tell you what happened to you if you'd not been saved at a young age? Can I tell you what happened to you? You'd walk headlong into sin and misery for the rest of your life. There's some of you that did. You walked headlong into sin and misery and the chains of the devil in your life, and God has gloriously saved you out of it. I mean, it's, it's, why, it's why sometimes most fired up people in the church are the one that came out of the worst sin in their lives. And then some people who got saved as children, like we're like, well, I don't have that testimony. No, here's your testimony, is that God saved you from all of that lifestyle. And either way, either way, We ought to have an appreciation of what the grace of God has done in our lives. What he has saved us from. And once we get that appreciation of the grace of God in our lives, what he saved us from, can I tell you this? We won't have any trouble telling others. The reason we're a reluctant witness is because we don't really appreciate what God has done in our lives. I don't know if you heard about this island or not. It was on the news recently about No Man's Land, Massachusetts. No, no, man's, no Man's Land, Massachusetts, a beautiful island about three miles uh, from the island of Martha's Vineyard, upscale island there in Massachusetts. But the, the, uh, they, the army took it over, uh, created, uh, the Navy took it over, created an airfield out of it uh, during World War II and after World War II. As a matter of fact, the Navy owned this island for about, 53 years had an airstrip on it and all of that. But here's what they did with it on this island. They, uh, they, um, they tested bombs on it. And so they'd fly planes over it and they'd just bomb that island just to make sure the bombs work, the planes work. It was a test run. And they used it for 53 years and it's about 612 acres, I think they said. And, and they just dropped bombs on it for decades. They dropped bombs on it. And then they just walked away from it a few years ago. And today it's a wildlife sanctuary that can be used for absolutely nothing. Can't touch it. Can't walk on it. Can't go to it. Can't build a house on it. Can't put a park on it. Can't do anything on it. You know why? It's full of unexploded bombs. Because not all the bombs went off when they dropped them out of a plane. Full of unexploded bombs. There, some of them are buried in the sand, buried in the dirt. Some of them they can't find. They've, they've sent expeditions out just to look at it. And they're like, nobody go to this island. It, it's a walking death trap. One wrong step and you could be blown to pieces. So all the Navy can do is tell everybody, stay off this island. But I read the story and I thought, 
You know, that was our lives before the gospel of Jesus Christ. We were one misstep away from ruining our lives. We were one wrong decision away from messing up everything in our lives. And I want to tell you, if you had lived on this island, and if you had lived on that island, and if you had been there, and if you had lived with the anxiety of worrying about every day of your life, one wrong step could be the end of it all. Listen, if you got rescued off that, off that island, you know what you'd have no problem doing? You'd have no problem telling others to stay away. Somebody came to you and said, I'm thinking about taking a vacation on No Man's Island. You'd say, nope, don't go there. Nothing but misery and heartache there. Nothing but anxiety there. That's what Jesus did for us. He rescued us from bad decision after bad decision, heartache after heartache, misery after misery, chain after chain. And he saved us from hell and he rescued us from sin and he freed us from bondage. And if that's true for you this morning, there ought to be a fire in your bones uh, for the gospel that cannot be put out. You'll elevate what you appreciate. If you truly appreciate what Jesus has done in your life, I'm going to tell you, you're not going to have any trouble inviting somebody to church, sharing the good news of Jesus because of all that he's done for you. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you invited somebody to church? Hey, I don't, I don't care if you're first time here. I don't care if you're a staff member. I, I don't care if you're a deacon or a Sunday school teacher. If you just want, I don't care. Let me ask all of us. When's the last time we invited somebody to church? When's the last time we tried to share the gospel with somebody God had put into our past? I'm going to tell you, the reason we don't witness is we don't appreciate really what Jesus has done for us. Paul says you want to be a standout Christian. Hey, you will elevate what you appreciate, the gospel. The number three, and I'm, I'm finished, Paul said this, that you may be the Jesus they'll see. You know, the old saying goes, you may be the only Jesus, but you definitely may be the Jesus. Look what he said, 7 and 8. He said, you learned this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he's told us about your love in the Spirit. Now, we know a little bit about Epaphras. Paul gave us an example of a gospel-centered life. He was a native of Colossae who first got the gospel to them. He's the founder of the church at Colossians. Paul calls him a faithful Christian, a fellow prisoner of the gospel with Paul. And Paul said this to the church, that you want to know what a gospel-centered life looks like? I have a picture for you. Let me look no further than Epaphras. You want to know what the gospel can do in your life? Let me just show you Epaphras. Now, hear me. The face of the gospel is always Jesus, but to a lost world, it's going to be Jesus in you. Like, yeah, we should always point people to Jesus, but you're either with your life pointing people to Jesus or away from Jesus with your life. And Paul's idea is is that we would become so gospel-centered in our own lives, listen, that the world, the world may never read the Bible, that the world may never come to church, that the world may never experience a worship service, but the gospel is central in your life. They ought to at least see Jesus in you. And if you can be an example of Jesus to a lost and dying world, listen, you may be the only gospel some people ever read. 
Your face, your life, your example ought to be a gospel beacon that draws others to Christ. That means on your job that you need to be Jesus on your job. You say, preacher, you don't work at the crazy place I work at. Well, it's crazy around here too, I'll be honest with you, but I, I know, I get it. I get it. I get the sin you live in, live with. I get the sin you're around all the time. I get it. But have you ever thought Jesus has you there to be the face of the gospel? It may be in your family. It may be in your community. It may be at your school. It may be on the ball field. It may be on your social media. But your language, your attitude, your kindness, hey, your love, faith, and hope ought to scream out God, godliness, Grace and gospel. Your life centered around the gospel will be the only Jesus that some people see. Close your Bibles and I'm, I'm finished. I know some of you are thinking, well, that's too much to ask, preacher. That's, that's too big of an ask for people's eternity to be dependent. Like I don't, I don't know that I want people depending on me that much. Associate Well, they're going to whether you want them to or not. Like there's just some things you can't get away from. The moment you go to church, they're either going to come to you and ask or they're behind your back going to say, I can't believe that they, they go to church. Because your face is going to be associated with Jesus. You say, I, I, don't, I don't know if that's true or not. Yeah, I know it's true. I can prove it to you. Let, let's take a test. I'm going to put some faces on the board. You, you tell me what they're associated with. Does anybody know? Allstate. Allstate. Mayhem guy, right? This one's too easy. I'll give it to you. Who's she? What's she sell? Progressive insurance. That's right. All right. This will be a little harder. Anybody know him? Yeah, there you go. He's the can you hear me now guy. And he was either with Sprint, now Verizon, or Verizon, now Sprint. I don't know, but he's the can you hear me now guy. This is going to be hard. You got to dig deep. You, I don't even know if you're going to recognize this guy, all right? But let's try. <laughs> Who's that? What's his company? What's he sell? Who are these guys? Sonic. Right? You know that. What's this guy represent? Pillows. That's right. Y'all are 100% so far. What's his first name? Jake from State Farm. La last one. What's she sell? Lily. Lily. That's right. Who's she work for? AT&T. And if I put your picture up here, the world around you should have said, Jesus, Jesus. Because you may be the Jesus they'll see. That's what the gospel is supposed to do in our lives. Stand with me across the room. If you're watching online, Jeremy's got a good word for you just now. Hang, hang in with him. Thank you, Pastor Joel, for that incredible message on being a standout Christian. 
And maybe you're here this morning and you're watching with us this morning and um, you've put your faith and trust in Jesus. You know you have a relationship with Jesus, um, but maybe the evidence isn't there in your life. Is there enough evidence? Is there enough about you that people see to convict you of being a Christ follower? That's the question we all need to ask ourselves this morning. And um, Pastor Joel laid out such a great, uh, such great points and great ways for us to make sure that we are, uh, we are in how we live, letting people know that we're Christ follower. But maybe, maybe you're watching and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. It starts with that. You can't be a standout Christian unless you take that first step of making Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. It begins with you understanding that you're a sinner. You've broken God's law, you've offended God, uh, you disobeyed God, and because of the, the, all of those things are called sin, because of that you're separated from God. Jesus came to bridge the gap between us and God so that we could have a relationship with Him. We gotta be willing to admit that we've broken God's law. We've gotta, be will, we, we've gotta believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins. And then we have to confess Him as the Lord and Savior of our life. And maybe God has spoken to you this morning and you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus. It begins by you telling God this, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. Lord, I ask you to come into my heart, take away my sin, and be my Savior. Lord, I give my life to you in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer this morning for the very first time and you meant it, we're going to drop a link in, uh, in the chat box that says, I commit my life to Christ. You can click on that link or you can text me right here on this phone at 423-800-1871. That's 423-800-1871. That'll come right to me right here on my cell phone. Hey. We want to connect with you. If you made that decision to follow Jesus, you don't need to be in it alone. We want to be here for you. We want to send you some information that's going to help you. And we want to reach out to you and help you on your faith journey with Jesus. It has been so much fun being with you guys this morning. I'm thankful for our time together each week. And I can't wait to see you next week. God bless you. Have a great week. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.